welcome back. This is the second episode of the Alan Carr's Easyway podcast. My name's Colleen Dwyer. I'm a senior Alan Carr's Easyway therapist. I'm the presenter of our series of online video programs and I'm your podcast host. So you'll get to know me more as we work through the um, podcast episodes. In the meantime, I'm gonna tell you more about what you can expect from today's episode. So we have the second part of our interview with the amazing A-list comedian, Nikki Glazer, and she talks more about how she quit smoking with Alan Carr's Easy Way, and then also later went on to quit alcohol with our program. Nikki is a stand-up comedian, and she's also a brilliant actress, podcast, radio, and television host, and the star of the 2022 reality show, Welcome Home, Nikki Glazer. The first part of this interview with Nikki was in our first episode, and this is the continuation. It's also great to be joined by Dr. Charles Nell, who's one of the longest serving Alan Carr practitioners, having started 23 years ago. Dr. Charles Nell directs our seminar activities across South Africa, and he is supported by his fabulous team in South Africa. And we spoke about his experiences as a smoker, how he quit smoking, and his Alan Carr journey. As always, we have our Addiction Central segment with regular contributor John Dicey, the CEO of Alan Carr's Easy Way, who is co-author of Alan Carr Books and a senior Alan Carr's Easy Way therapist. And he has helped literally millions of addicts to freedom over the last 25 years. John and I will be answering questions from listeners who have specific difficulties or queries about the method. And we'd love to hear from you about how you've been successful with the method, but also if you've struggled or failed. So drop us a line on pod at alancarr.com with whatever you'd like to say or any questions that you have that's pod p-o-d at a-l-l-e-n-c-a-r-r.com and we look forward to hearing from you and we could be answering your question in the next episode and remember the segment is called addiction central so that means that we're happy to answer any questions that you have about any addiction and even if we don't actually feature your question in a future episode of the podcast we will personally reply to every single question we receive providing you with detailed advice and guidance so don't forget get in touch on pod at alancar.com and do also check out alancar.com and see the host of addictions and issues that alancar's easy way has now been applied to so here i am talking with dr charles nell i am um dr charles nell and i used to be a dentist and i had a dental practice in london and i smoked 40 a day, only because I had to do eight hours worth of dentistry a day. On the weekends, it was more, but um, I was a committed smoker. And then I remember getting hold of Alan Carr's book and reading it in, in a nutshell, stopping it. Uh, it was at that time that I saw they'd started clinics off in various countries. One was Holland. And uh, as much as I had a very good practice in Chiswick. I, I didn't enjoy the industry. It really just became about the money for me. And I then applied for the franchise in South Africa for Alan Carr to do the clinics from Robin Haley. Um, I came back to South Africa, I think at the end of 97. Um, and I was successful in terms of the application around about 1999 or possibly a little bit earlier before that, but I started clinics in 1999 in South Africa. And uh, long story short, I was the um, the uh, master franchisee for the region, South Africa. And it was slow to begin with. Um, the 
but of course, I was committed to the project and certainly uh, the solid belief that the easiest and best way to stop smoking was using Alan Carr's method. I then started applying to uh, Discovery Vitality in South Africa, which was the insurance company that had 80% of the market. And it was clear that if I was going to do anything in South Africa, I had to become a member of them or partnered with them. And um, the application to get to speak to them and become a partner took a number of years, but eventually became partnered with them. The market itself started to grow. And it... um, it grew. I think at one point in South Africa, we were doing possibly the third or the fourth largest numbers in the whole Alan Carr organization. Um, and the Alan Carr organization subsequently got much bigger worldwide. And I've continued to do those sessions very enthusiastically because I think I found my I found my my vocation. I like being a teacher and certainly teaching something that I believe in and that I believe is a is a fantastic product has been a wonderful motivation. So I continue to run clinics in South Africa and we have been doing them here in South Africa for over 23 years. That's where I started and that's how come I'm still an Alan Carl therapist and enjoying every minute, I must tell you. How old are you when you started, Charles? I uh, started smoking committedly when I was in the army, the infantry, when I was 17. So so then, gosh, so you were smoking for how many years? Well, I would say from 17 uh, to the age of about 33. Um, but I became... Uh, I thought a heavy smoker because effectively, if I if I was awake, I was smoking, and if I wasn't smoking, I wasn't happy. What I do remember about the smoking is uh, I ran a private dental practice in Chiswick in London, and you imagine as a dentist, quite difficult to smoke. But I uh, was quite innovative in my um, my attempts to get around the problem, and one of them was to smoke with a pair of pliers so my hands wouldn't smell. And uh, always outside with the smoke drifting away from me and obviously with masks. And as soon as you, if your clothes don't smell of smoke and your hands don't smell of smoke and you're wearing a mask and you've brushed your teeth, uh, the clients, uh, even non-smokers, are quite comfortable. And as soon as you put a pair of gloves into someone's mouth, I couldn't smell anything anyway. They just smelled the gloves. So I managed it then. But now I was very, very deeply in the trap and I had accepted I would spend the rest of my life smoking. And I had a great perception that I enjoyed every part. Yeah. What were the ones that you thought you'd be um, like really, you, that you'd really miss? I kind of thought I would miss every one of them. Uh, but the ones I thought that I enjoyed the most really were after meals. And I think the reason was if you've had something it tastes lovely in your mouth, and you then smoke a cigarette, the cigarette tastes far better. So with anything that affected the taste of the cigarettes, they were they were the ones I thought I'd miss the most. But I really, if someone said to you, which one are you going to miss the most? I would have just said all of them. I was that frightened to be without cigarettes. And and yet in the event after meals, you were fine and it wasn't an issue, and you didn't need them or miss them. I 
in terms of whether I missed them after I'd stopped, uh, it was, um, I think, just the fact that I never smoked since about 19, uh, I would say 1993, is a testament to the fact that I've never had a desire or craving to smoke because I'm the kind of personality that if I did get a craving to smoke, I would smoke. But I never have. I've never missed them. And just, well, I sound about, I wonder, I'm wondering whether it's my experience or all the years I spent reading Alan Carr. But whenever I think about myself smoking, I, I just feel overwhelmingly relieved that somehow I was able to learn how the trap worked from Alan because once you understand how the trap works and that it really is possibly the most sophisticated con trick on the planet, then I think uh, is when you can become truly free and never think about smoking again. Never miss it at all, no. So, like, Charles, when you were a smoker, so you smoked um, about 40 a day and you you came across the book, were you just, like, rousing in the bookshop or did someone kind of say, hey, Charles, give this a read? There was a charming lady doctor in Chiswick. I was still in England at the time. And she said to me, well, you're overweight and you smoke too much. And obviously, she said, well, why don't you try Alan Carr's book to stop smoking? Uh, I thought it was very funny. (laughs) Uh, But I ended up in an airport and I was trying to kill time. And there was this book and I picked it up. What intrigued me about it was that in the front of the book, it said, you must not stop smoking. (laughs) And I thought, well, here we go. This is the book the lady talked about or the doctor. And uh, I've got a flight uh, and I was flying to South Africa. I'll buy the book and I will read it. And at least by that time, be telling my wife, I was attempting to stop smoking because I had no intention to stop it whatsoever. I really enjoyed smoking. I had no problem with being a smoker. I read the book. And at some point, I managed to smoke my last cigarette on the aeroplane. And of course, I never smoked again. And that is how I started with Alan Carr. And I subsequently used to buy books <laughs> and give them to all my smoking friends. And um, a number of them stopped and a number of them didn't read them. Because, as you know, there's a lot of fear with stopping smoking. But certainly, I uh, found them a an integral part of my life, and in time I met a smoker, and it was then that I discovered they started to do clinics, and it was then that I felt that this has got to be what I would like to do for the rest of my life, and it turns out I was right. So, <laughs> Do you remember, like, how you felt on having that final cigarette and how you felt when you, when you quit? I had spent a, a bit of time thinking about why I smoked, and like most smokers, I'd managed to work out what I thought was going on uh, to read Alan's book and to find out factually what was going on was an enormous revelation. And it was there uh, that the myths about what I believed about smoking were destroyed. And certainly that is the beauty of his method. And I think that for the vast majority of smokers, If you start to understand factually why all these supposed benefits that smoking provides are illusions and how that comes about, then the fear 
of stopping ghosts. And so when I extinguished my last cigarette, the fear of stopping had gone. And that is what the Alan Carr method does. It removes the fear of stopping and removes the desire to smoke. And so I was confident and relieved when I smoked my last cigarette. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Charles. Did you get like any cravings? Did you like miss cigarettes? Did you have to, you know, use some willpower to quit? Fascinating to find that because I was thinking about the withdrawal in the right way, every time I got an empty feeling, which I think is mostly what people get called cravings, I understood what it was, realized it wasn't painful, and I found it extraordinarily easy, and um, basically confirmed what Alan in his book had said, which I had found. I couldn't really expect it to be so, but it was so, and I found it easy and enjoyable, just like he did, and uh, simply because I understood what was going on. And so, no, it was ridiculously easy, in fact, because I had tried many times to stop before. Having said I was committed smoker, I still tried to stop and managed to stop once for six months, and it was miserable. So a revelation but factually right. If you're thinking about it the right way, the withdrawal is easy and a joke and nothing to be frightened of. I was going to ask you as well, based on your dentistry, you know, background, because we get a lot of people come along who have been recommended by their dentist. What, how does smoking impact your, your, you know, dental issues? Well, the, um, uh, smoking, is a major problem in all health areas, but also specifically in dentistry, because uh, notwithstanding the uh, issue of staining, which is what the people will see, uh, smoking interferes with the bone health around teeth. And 90% of teeth are lost because of a loss of bone. So if you want to keep your teeth, and of course now we're living for 100 years, you want to keep your teeth lifelong, and it certainly is easy, specifically with the way we can restore teeth. And now when you've lost them, you can replace them with implants. But bone health is paramount for good dental health. And one of the number one enemies for undermining bone health is smoking. So that's why... Dentists are very, very keen to prevent that uh, in terms of trying to, as the number one attack on making the dentition as long-lived as possible amongst smokers. So in, like, from when you first started doing the um, seminars and the operation in South Africa to now, 23 years later, like, Mm. have you seen the attitudes to smoking in South Africa shift or or not much or i think if i had to answer the question about how attitudes have changed in south africa towards smoking over the 23 years i would have to say my experience is that it doesn't matter what happens around nicotine addicts or smokers 
the dynamics for the addiction remain the same. And yeah. so people addicted to nicotine have a belief that they need the drug and they also have a fear that they will never be happy without it. That remains constant. So I, I'm of the belief that no matter what governments, countries and fashion do, nicotine addiction is fundamentally the same as uh, today as it was 100 years ago. And I think that's a common truth. And that's been my experience of 23 years. Brilliant. And what I was going to ask you, what do you think you'd be doing now if you hadn't have quit smoking? I, um, I would not absolutely not have been doing dentistry. I do think possibly I would have been doing some kind of business, but I, I've often wondered why I like doing Alan Carr so much. I must say that the logistical side became an irritation because in South Africa, because the, the people that can afford Alan Carr are so thinly distributed, there are only 6 million of them. We were doing a lot of traveling, specifically flying, and I found that very difficult. But I've understood that one of the reasons that I enjoy doing Alan Carr so much is that I think uh, it's just, you know, you get lifelong vocational teachers. And I think that I, I am a teacher. And if you can teach something that you know a lot about and that you believe in, then it becomes enjoyable. And I'll, I'd like to emphasize, I don't think smokers have changed. Things around them might have changed, but being in a cantina and thinking you can't live without cigarettes and nicotine is what we manage and the removal of the fear of stopping and changing that view is what we manage. And, uh, well, I'm afraid we have to, not afraid, I'm happy to say, Alan Carr was the, the person that managed to make, make sense of the contract and to see the true simple fact and uh, that is what we're teaching the clients, and that's what's made us the most successful in the world. I feel blessed and privileged to have been part of the Alan Carr organization for so long, and I'm currently in good health. And yeah. I must say that if it wasn't inspiring and I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. And uh, so I feel thank you to Alan and to all of you in the Worldwide Organization. I'm greatly um, I feel honoured to be part of it and for so long as well. And I don't see that changing the next uh, relevant years for me because of the enjoyment I get from it. Thank you so much, Charles. I really enjoyed our chat. And here is Natalie Clays talking with Nikki Glazer. Hi there. I'm Nikki Glazer. I'm a comedian and I also am a non smoker and non drinker because of the Alan Carr easy way method. What was so interesting to talk to you about today was reminding myself why these books worked because it has been so long since I read these books. It was 2009 for the smoking one. I haven't drank since 2011 for the drinking one. I haven't needed to read the books again. It worked like that. It's not something I have to re-up and revisit and oh struggle with the oh no check in every day like hey yeah you gotta check in daily. It is. It's, It's not a program I have to keep up. And that is what I love about it so much. And that is why I think people 
just need to give it a shot. What have you got to lose? You'll get your money back if you do a seminar. It's a six hour seminar yep. on Zoom. Yeah. I Zoom wish there would have been seminars yeah. on Zoom when I quit, but you know, the book for me, I zipped through it. I buy it. I bought that book. You guys owe me. I bought that book <laughs> for so many people. Whenever I go to my Amazon, the first thing is like Alan Carr book. And it's like, because I bought it for so many people that I meet and I go, let me just buy it for you. Have it on your shelf for when you're ready. I know you're not now and you think you want it, but just the second your daughter maybe cries to you about maybe quitting, pick the book up and just start reading. And you can smoke while you read it. I mean, what? There's no excuse not to. The only excuse is you might quit and that fear of quitting. But I promise you, whatever you're imagining, your fear, your life being without cigarettes, it's it's not what you're gonna imagine. You're, you're actually, you're imagining that plane ride you take and the whole time you're craving a cigarette. You're picturing that your life after quitting smoking is gonna be that plane ride that you recently took that you couldn't smoke during. It's not gonna be that. You're not gonna be this white knuckling it. freedom. This is like freedom from a drug that controls your life that you're clinging onto and this is absolute freedom where you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to think about it and you're actually like, happy you're yeah. you're not like leave i can't have the cigarette you're like i'm a non-smoker again which you were before you had your first cigarette bitch yeah. sorry to call you bitch <laughs> but you people go no i'm a smoker you were not born a smoker yeah maybe your mom smoked while she, you were pregnant but that you know that's not your you didn't come out craving a cigarette so you can return to that yeah. place that you you're were normal basically you're getting back to normal and yes. normal hey normal is being a non-smoker and cigarette companies want you to think it's hard. That is part of their propaganda. So when you tell yourself it's too hard, I can't quit, all the times you quit before and tried to and you failed and you feel like a failure because it's hard, it's hard. It's because you were using the wrong methods and you were using methods surreptitiously developed by cigarette companies to make you convinced that, to keep you all done nicotine, nicorette, the, the patch, they don't want you to quit. They want you to be dependent on the patch and the Nicorette gum. How are they gonna stay in business if, if you aren't hooked on gum the rest of your life? We all know someone who chews gum incessantly, which I used to be addicted to gum, um, just to prevent whatever compulsive behavior. I would get mouth sores. I mean, being addicted to anything, um, you're gonna be a slave to it. This is really gonna release you. How do you guys make money? <laughs> Because you people don't keep coming back. No, we, we don't want repeat clients. That's it. We don't want repeaters. There's enough smokers, though, that you guys I think it's, have enough clientele out there. I think it's still 34 million in America. In America? Yeah. 34 million? Yeah. yeah. And they're so ashamed at this point. I mean, there's, you, you know, people used to smoke inside and it was okay on planes. And now you walk down the sidewalk and you're like, buddy, you don't even walk past the sidewalk. I mean, smokers are living in a world where it is not making you more social. I remember that part of the book that's like, if you think smoking cigarettes is like a thing you do with your other smoker friends, it's making you more social. If you really look at it, you're leaving the party yeah. to go smoke. You're Outside, leaving. Outside, you smell bad. You're conscious of the smoke oh. blowing other people, yeah. C constant worrying about how I smell, how my car smells, how my hands smell. Um, constantly, you know, worry about how many cigarettes do I have left? Yeah. How do I get to the, how do I get my, these people I'm driving with to stop at 7-Eleven, but they don't know that I'm stopping for cigarettes because that's embarrassing. So I'll make up <laughs> another need that I need to get this thing. It's like, yeah. it's constant lies. Planning. It's planning and it's consuming. And you just, you just, you've got to. It's, it's consuming. Yeah. And so there is another way. If you haven't heard about the Alan Carr method before, I hope you try it out. It's essentially not talking about all the reasons not to do it because we know, we've seen the pictures of the lungs. We know the, the, 
cancer. We know all of the things, the Surgeon General's warning. That's not doing enough for us. It's it's targeting why do you do it? And then looking, examining that a little bit more closely. Yeah. Because usually you're hearing from non-smokers, well, why do you want to do it? And you go, well, you don't understand because you don't do it. And so, yeah, that, I think that was the thing that started working for me. I do remember though, reading the smoking book and feeling the urge to smoke going away, you know, like as I read it and it freaked me out because yeah. I was suddenly like, I'm not ready. I had to put it down because I felt, I felt my urge to smoke or my desire to smoke going away. And I didn't, it was too scary to me. So I put the book down and I waited until I knew that I was really wanting to be done because I was like, this shit works. Oh no, I feel it working and I don't like it. I'm just too scared. And I had to step away from it because I, I knew something magical was happening where it was like, nothing's shocking nothing's like scaring me straight it's not like oh, I've, it was just a subtle thing of like i just don't like really want a cigarette and it was like oh no wait what does that mean it's for my wedding. future i think that's the thing is people just need to be a little bit more open-minded that your way there might be another way there's even a money back guarantee i mean it's that's, that was guarantee. his first kind of thing that he did differently is that if this book doesn't work for you i'll, I'll Pay back. Well, the seminar is the money back. Oh, okay. But basically, I mean, the reason we do it is nobody wants the money back. But it's a way you can try without risk. It's like saying, hey, you've got nothing to lose by giving it a go. You yes. can't lose. Yeah. So it's not about nobody wants the money back, really, but it's risk-free. Though, I, I, I get that. Like, I, I think that sometimes I would maybe be reluctant to try something that is I know is the way that's going to work. Because what if it doesn't work, then it's my last hope that's kind that of thing. That's how I felt when I went. I was I was terrified because I I tried everything else and I just thought, oh my goodness, if this doesn't work, I'm I'm done. That's it. Yeah. So it kind of added this extra layer of panic and worry about it. But what's the thing that you keep with you? Because I think there's so much information that you get, and different people keep different images that you guys evoke. Different kind of just. Uh, unbrainwashing like moments where you just go oh this thing I've seen the whole time that's not true is there something that stays with you that hit you at the, from the seminar that you went to that kind of stays with you more than other things do you know what I, I don't even remember because it was such a non-event yeah like it, it, it was such a non-event it was like on the one hand it was completely life-changing like it, you know it changed, it changed my life I mean I live in America now because of Alan Cossie I'm here with you now mm -hmm. I'm here with Nikki Glazer because I because I smoked and because of Alan Carr. So it was kind of like a huge event, but a real non-event. And there's not one thing I remember them saying that even stuck with me. I just remember leaving and being a bit, feeling a bit dazed and a bit lost mm. as it just kind of processed. And then as the days went by, and I still thought about smoking, but I just couldn't think of one good reason. Yeah. So like, why would I want to do that? How great is it though? And I think this is one of my favorite things about the book, the seminars, is that you don't have to quit before you go. Yeah. Not, they're not going to ask you to quit on the first day. You can smoke while you read the book. You can drink while you read the I mean, don't be drunk while no. you're reading the book so you can retain it. But the end of the book, if I remember correctly, asks you, now go have a cocktail. See if you want one. Go have a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. Have well, a last cigarette. In the seminars, we encourage, we say, please smoke. Like, please smoke. We want you to smoke. And then at the end of the day, you have your, you know, your last one. And by then, you're just you're done you just you're done it because you just can't see any reason to smoke anymore and there isn't this that that um the, the feeling that every smoker and every drinker is dreading of like 
I'm going to be like constantly like this. Like, I need a drink. I need a cigarette. Like, you can't, because you've never been open to this methodology, you don't even understand that you could maybe not be in uh, a chronic uh, place of dread and wanting and just like missing out. And I'm, I can't go to parties anymore. And people always go to me. People always say to me about drinking, which was a huge hurdle for me to quit drinking. Is I work in comedy late nights. That's how I'm paid. Is it drink tickets? Like, so I'm I'm gonna be at bars. I'm gonna be around drunk people. Like, how will I? Well, how will I be fun anymore? How will I have fun? How will I be fun? How will I? How will I uh, have relationships? Alcohol helps me get comfortable enough to even tell a boy I like him. Or, you know, I'm very awkward when it comes to sex and stuff like that. Like alcohol has helped like those situations. And my point that I always make that I got from Alan Carr and is currently in my act is that alcohol makes you stupider. It doesn't make you brave. This whole thing of like liquid courage, it is a, com that's a complete misconception. Alcohol makes you more stupid it makes you just dead it deadens your brain over time if you cr drink chronically you will get wet brain you will become mentally incapacitated so if if alcohol made you you know courageous firefighters would be getting loaded before they ran in the building and that's highly discouraged i believe in the firefighter community to get drunk before you run in a building but if it gave you courage why wouldn't we be yeah, getting well, them drunk you did, yeah. why wouldn't we get yeah. police officers drunk before they run into you know uh to do a hostage situation it's because it doesn't give you courage it makes you stupid and that's why it was easier for me to, you know, say things that I've always wanted to say, but I couldn't say them or, or go on stage. It made me stupider. Now, some people can go, well, I need that. I need that to, to, to face my fears. What you need to do is face your fears mm -hmm. in a way that is not dependent on you, um, you know, having a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's crazy that we convince ourselves alcohol does anything except makes us dumber. Do you, do you find that, Nikki, do you find like in your industry, do people like raise their eyebrows and question why you don't drink anymore? Is it like yeah. expected of you? Well, it's, yeah, there's a disappointment because I seem cool, you know. I seem like someone you'd want to drink with. She's cool, she's fun, she tells the truth. I mean, someone who gets on stage and, and talks honestly about all the embarrassing things in my life, that's only something a drunk person would usually do. Yeah. You don't see people do that unless they, they drink normally because why would you admit these things that's private stuff like you only loose lips do that but i found a way you know to access those kinds of you know truths and honesty without without alcohol so people sometimes are like i want to buy you a shot after a show and i go oh i don't drink and they go what and there is this disappointment that i feel from them of like it's the same thing i get when people think i'm jewish because my last name's glazer and i have a lot of jewish friends who are like so you're jewish and i'm like no i'm not and they're like what? And I'm like, I'm sorry I let you down. I want to be, but it is that same thing of like, I can still, but I can still have fun. And I like to prove to people that, and people go, well, how do you have fun? And I go, well, you know, when I'm out drink with a bunch of people drinking and the second it's, I'm not having fun, I go home. And then what you realize is that all the times you thought you were having fun, which by the way, you don't really remember that much. It's not even that clear what you were even talking about or what you were doing you go, I wasn't really having fun. I was just stupid. Stupid people have fun. <laughs> like, it's easy to make a dumb person have fun. When you, <laughs> and I just go home and I do something that is fun to me. Or I find people that are having different kinds of fun. Yeah, there's normally, I think it's like 10 o'clock. 10 p.m. is that cutoff of when the, the people get to that level of drunkenness where it's just like, 
it's, it's time to go now and there's the same with people go home and and I, I have no judgment of those people I mean I think that a lot of people who drink don't want non-drinkers around because they feel like judged yeah. about it whereas it's not so much about judgment I just um I get it I was doing that it feels good there's a part of you that feels really good to just let go and get stupid for a while but I think that once you get comfortable enough with yourself and you realize that the things that alcohol is allowing you to do, dance, be more social, be more comfortable with yourself, that's all achievable without it. It's just you you haven't you haven't done the it's uncomfortable that you might have to, you know, uh, go on a date and not drink. Like what would that be like? But I found and myself in so many relationships, sexual relationships, that were facilitated by alcohol, and when you took away the alcohol, we had nothing. I couldn't get to a place where I was attracted to this person when I get close to them. And it wasn't because alcohol made like made me access this part of myself where I was comfortable with them. I just wasn't ever. And I was using this as a tool. And when you pour, pair it away, you go, we don't have anything else except drinking. So do you find then that you're much more able to be your natural self without that mask of alcohol that changed you? Yeah, I think that I would find. I, I, I don't really like when people say that, oh, the truth comes out when you drink. Because for me... It, it was not the truth. I would often tell people and make plan, tell people I loved them that I didn't love, <laughs> be like to girls that I did not like. I would do the opposite. I would be like, I love you so much. Like, why don't we hang out more? And then I'd have plans that I didn't even want to make, didn't even remember making. I felt like it wasn't an authentic version of myself. And, and I hated that I couldn't remember things. And I think that people go, well, I don't black out. You brown out. <laughs> you don't remember things as clearly. And I think that that was part of... That was the real impetus for me to stop drinking was because I was blacking out so much, so quickly, um, because there's a great John Mulaney joke about it that he used to black out after a couple of beers because he was such a bad blackout that his body learned, like, we know where this is going, we're gonna shut down early. Like, why why stay open when we uh -huh. know this is where this is gonna end? So I was blacking out after a couple of beers and I was starting to, in my sober life, not tell my friends stories because I assumed I'd already told them when I was drunk because I was getting too many of like, you told me that last night. And and they would think like, you were blacked out last night. Then there would be this judgment. So I found myself yeah. changing my personality when I was sober to compensate for what an idiot I was when I was drunk. And that's when I was like, this, it's just becoming too exhausting to keep up with this person that I unleash when I'm drunk. And I don't want I need to, she needs to go to bed. Like, I just need to get, and all of my relationships, all of my romantic relationships were based on drinking. Yeah. And that, and a lot of my friendships, I mean, I did, I'm not going to say that, like, no, all of your friendships will be the same if you quit drinking or quit smoking. If you don't realize, though, how many of your relationships are just, that's all you have in common with that person, which is not a deep friendship. And I think those were the friendships that kind of went away. And it wasn't that it was like, oh, I miss them. It just went away gradually, almost like the desire to drink goes away. It yeah. wasn't like, there wasn't like a, I, I had to put a line in the sand, like, I can't hang out with you anymore. You just go, I just don't have fun with them anymore because you're not drunk and you had to get drunk to have fun with them. So I think for me, I just like to tell people about the Alan Carr method because it's simple. You get to do the thing that you're trying to quit while you read. There is no judge. It's very non-judgmental. Yeah. It's very loving. It's very like, I don't know. I just found the way that Alan Carr wrote the non-smoking book. I just felt taken care of. I felt seen. He was a smoker. I didn't feel, there wasn't just, 
I wasn't being uh, admonished for what I was doing. He was understanding, he was empathetic. I think that's the thing as well, like, you know, every one of us was that person. So we were the smoker or the drinker. So we've, we've, we've been there, we get it. So there's no judgment. It's like, we know what it's like, but we, yeah, we've, we've all got that experience. And I think it's just so important for if you're out there and you are a smoker or you know someone who's a smoker or you know someone who has a problem or drinking or, or vapor oh my gosh big i mean vaping Peach. is your your latest um kind you of know, the, foray the, the, all the phone calls we get now they're some kids i yeah. get i get phone calls and emails and kids are like 21 and they're trapped in it already they're how do i get out of this and vaping is honestly possibly more of a problem because they're not constantly confronted with it smells oh you got to go outside people are vaping i have relationships with people good friends that have been vaping for years and i don't even know it because you can do it so secretively and i think that makes it so much more harmful when you can get away with it you can do it in public it doesn't smell yeah um so these people aren't constantly confronted with the shame of being a smoker yeah. that you know smokers feel because of the smell and the dirtiness yeah. of it. Yeah, and a lot of them say it's worse because they, the fact they can just do it anywhere, anytime, so discreetly, yeah. it's it's just this constant thing that you, you know, but using. So, the, is, so you're having just as much success with the vaping program yeah. as you have with the, the smoking? Yeah, I mean the seminars now, well the seminars, though there's, that, there's actually been a recent book and the book is purely just about vaping, so yeah. that's a fairly recent publication, but right. in the seminars we address both, you know, whether it's, they're just different ways of delivering nicotine, you know, whether it's a cigarette, a vape, jewel, patch, gum, these weird tea bags that snooze, you know, yeah. they're just ways of putting nicotine into your body, so we kind of make sure that they're all addressed. And, seminars in fact last week i think it was or two weeks ago in new york our facilitator said for the first time ever the majority of people in the class were vapors not smokers mm -hmm. and that's so it's changing it's really good that there's this movement now for younger kids to realize that vaping is harmful in its own way and it was a, a an alternative to smoking that was supposed to be healthier books are the things that have set me free in my life and i would not be able to have uh, the career I have, the relationships I have, if I still drank and smoked. It's just without question that they were, um, I mean, my life is before and after I quit drinking, really. Amazing. And I wouldn't have been able to quit drinking if I hadn't quit smoking first yeah. and seen how it works. Because she wouldn't have been open to it, or? No. No, like how can I? And it's just, smoking was just, made me, you know, drinking you do it uh, once in every, every other night, or whatever it is, every night. There are times where you're sober and you go, well, I'm not drinking, so I'm still in control. Smoking is something that you're doing so often that you're constantly beating yourself up. You're in a, you're depriving yourself of oxygen. You're just in a bad mood all the time. You don't even know it. So I think smoking, quitting smoking freed up my brain to have the space to even let in the acknowledgement that, you know, drinking wasn't doing much for me either. So um, you can be a non-smoker. Um, you are a non-smoker who just happens to smoke. <laughs> you were born a non-smoker. You were born a non-drinker. And people that drink and smoke still and make you feel like, you know, oh, you've changed. Oh, you're weird now. And oh, now you're all spiritual and you think you're better. They're, they're, they want to quit too. Deep down they do. And you're, you're just, and then you have the gift to give them after that. And yeah. it's awesome. I'm making no money from this. I have no stake in this. I'm just doing this because it worked for me and I want other people to be free of it too. That's it. That's all. This is, 
this is, I'm, and I'm not saying this as like, I'm such a good person to do this. I'm just saying like, that's how much, that's how passionate I am about this. I don't, I just, I don't want anything from it. I just want you to try it. So please try it. Or don't, I really don't care. <laughs> so I do care. I want you to be happy, but like, it's it's not going to change my life if you try yeah. it or not, but it will change yours. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. anything else you think we should hit? Oh gosh. Um, it works for all drugs. It works go, for all yeah, drugs. Yeah, go to alancar.com and there's, oh gosh, there's caffeine, there's um, sugar, there's debt, there's gambling, there's... Emotional eating. Yeah, everything. A lot. Uh, fear of flying. Flying, yeah. Oh, that that's one where people go, well, that's not an addiction. You wouldn't think of it. But I i don't have a fear of flying, but I've, I've sent so many people that book as well oh, that really? do have a fear of flying because I'm like, I know this would work. This yeah. guy this guy nails it. So yeah. try that out. And it's and that makes sense to me because the, the fears we have of flying are irrational and they're based on lies we kind of tell ourselves. And like... Yeah, so once you just disprove any fear that they have of, like, this really isn't going to happen, then you're free of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think people are scared to be free of things. Scared of, yeah, they, they're scared because they think they're giving something up. And there's really nothing to give up. Unless... There's nothing to give up. I love that. That is true because you just don't want to be told you can't have something. We all have that leftover anger from being kids and not being able to like do what we want and have all the candy we want and so we feel like being told we can't be a smoker anymore it just like brings up all those feelings again of being like but I want it and I'm an adult and I get to do what I want and it's not gonna feel like no because if you didn't want it but could have it which is where we're at then it's easy like I can have it but I don't want it <laughs> there's nothing good about it so yeah it really does work um it really works so try it Try it. Just try it. <laughs> this is Addiction Central. Addiction Central. We want to air your success stories. Answer your questions. And provide advice. If every time each one hasn't worked for you, this advice is free of charge. We'll answer every question we receive with no exceptions. Contact us now at pod at allencar.com. So we're here, uh, Addiction Central, episode two. Mm-hmm. How With exciting. Charles Nell, Dr. Charles Nell, um, I spoke to him earlier, and the second part of the interview with um, Nikki Glazer. So so that was good. Oh, yeah. No, it's great to, to have those guys on. And um, so we've had quite a few emails in, the more the merrier, though, because as we discussed last time, uh, we'll answer all of them. So we might only be able to feature a, a selection of them uh, on the podcast. But uh, um, so we had some in after episode one. Um, r- I'm decided we should I do sort of first names, really. I mean, I, I did ask, you know, people to say, uh, Let's know whether you should, we should use your full name or whatever. But if you let's know your first name and where, where you're from, you know, city and country. And that's, that's kind of nice, um, to know. So Ray from New York. Um, I'm planning to quit and have heard that Alan Carr says not to substitute. But how will I know if I'm substituting? Ray doesn't say whether it's alcohol or smoking or 
cocaine or whatever it is. Um, so we're just, I think the advice is the same, isn't it? What do you think? Yeah, I reckon. So uh, it's a really good question, actually, because you think, well, when you when you quit any of these substances, it frees up a whole load of um, time and resources and, and what have you. And so you're going to use those in other ways. So you're going to spend your time doing other things. And then you think, oh, is this a substitution? But of course, no, it's not. Um, it's not a substitution if you're doing something that you genuinely enjoy and, you know, you're you're happy to do. Um, but, yeah, you've got to be very careful that you don't start thinking, oh, I'm not allowed to do X, Y, Z, therefore I'm going to treat myself in another way. That, you know, that is kind of the wrong way of thinking, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's not a classic case of substitution. I always think of that as being the, the lap of honour. You know, people are so pleased they got free, whether it's smoking or whatever. Um, and I think oh, I've done brilliantly. I, I, you know, I'm going to have a whatever cream cake to celebrate or whatever else. Or, you know, I've done so well. Brilliant. I deserve a reward, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's one thing, isn't it? I think that's quite, as long as people are wary of that. You know, th- that's sort of okay. I think the classic substitution is really, isn't it? I suppose I can't smoke, so I'll have this instead, or I can't drink, I'll have this instead. And this instead would normally involve eating or drinking something. Um, I think most people know. I mean, really, very few sort of accidental sort of cases of substitution. So it, 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 just do what you normally do. If you normally have a Biscuit with your cup of tea, have a biscuit with your cup of tea. Uh, um, it's really if you just notice that you're doing something instead of it, it's worth being aware of that. And funny enough, it doesn't even have to be um, a calorific thing either. Sort of some people said, oh, carrot sticks, or the most common one I come across with in the, the sort of social media groups we, we help with. Um, oh, if, you know, if I want a cigarette, I'm just going to have a, a glass of water instead. And it's sort of, well, on one hand, you think, well, what harm can that do? But on the other hand, that, that's substituting. And to substitute, it requires someone to think, I can't do this, I'll do this instead. And the fact is, that that's kind of willpower So really, the idea is, you you know, you might be noticed you're not smoking anymore or, or whatever drug it is. Um, and that's cool. But the reaction to it should always be like, great, I, I feel great, rather than, Oh, I can't do it. I'll do this instead. There's a kind of subtle difference. I think that's where some people do fall down. They kind of come up with this, uh, um, whether it's a lap of honour or whether it's literally, I can't do this. I'll do this instead. Even if it's not calorific, it just, it, it can create and then perpetuate, um, that feeling of deprivation, you know, that, that, that moves us from great. I don't smoke anymore to, oh, I can't. Mm, I'll have this instead and this instead. Kind of never measures up once you're in that frame of mind. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that sounds. I've covered that quite well. I think together we've uh, uh, answered that. I think. Yeah. Um, there's sort of. Go on. Sorry. Well, I was going to say as well. One of um, you know, the, the let's say you have a, a cigarette or whatever with a coffee. What's really nice when you um, when you quit smoking is to experience the cup of coffee without the cigarette. And so that you can really see that the cigarette didn't do anything to improve the coffee. And you can't really do that as well if you're 
having a substitute. You know, like you can't really break those mental associations if you're thinking, oh, okay, I won't have a cigarette, so therefore I'll have a biscuit or, you know, whatever. Um, then you're not really demonstrating to yourself that actually the cigarette didn't do anything, you know, because you're, you're kind of muddying the waters a bit by having a, a biscuit. That's a, that's a great point as well. And actually, I, I, what I found, because as well as being a, a chain smoker, I, I, I was always drinking coffee. You know, w- w- whatever office I was working with, you know, there was a coffee machine in the corner. And what I found was um, I've actually stopped drinking it, not because I, I was, it bothered me. But I had no idea that part of the reason I was drinking so much coffee was like, I don't, I don't think it's a medical, medically correct term, but it was almost a sort of lubricate the smoking, you sort of, you're just smoking so much. It, it, it the, the, you kind of got, the, I had no idea that was what was going on. I just thought I don't like coffee sort of thing. So, um, so I didn't stop drinking coffee. It's just, I kind of went from sort of something ridiculous, like 10 cups a day to sort of couple or something like that. So it's, it is interesting. And I think that's something, something for people to keep an eye out. The, the great changes you go through, which I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's not a, uh, life-changing, is it? But actually, I suppose it is. If you're doing 10 cups of coffee, you're probably not doing yourself any good, really, <laughs> on top of the smoking and everything else. So, no, that's a, that's a good one. And I think there are a few other aspects about substitution that always come up in um, in the live seminars, and we put as many of them as we can in the book in the books as well. Um, so, no, I think I think we've we've touched on enough there. I think that's you know, good advice. Hope, hope that's useful uh, for you, Ray. Um, and I don't know if you've got time for two or three more. I've got to, of course, I thought we could do some quick fire stuff. And when we get some feedback that people are going to give us on pod at alancar.com, um, you know, people might want more in-depth stuff um, or lots more sort of if you like, quick hits. So um, we'll see how things develop. Uh, this is from Patricia. From the Algarve in Portugal. Mm, nice. Um, I bought the Alan Carr book, but have already stopped smoking uh, a week, a couple of weeks ago. I didn't realise you were supposed to smoke while reading it. Will it still help me? Mm. That's another good one. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a common one that comes up. Yeah, because for people, if they've if they've actually stopped the substance, and then one of the first things they read in the in the book is "you must carry on," then it's like, oh my goodness, what am I what am I meant to do? Um, well, we we say don't you've done you've cut the physical supply off. Well, I suppose actually, John, it depends on how long you've quit for. So Patricia's quit for a couple of. Did you, couple of weeks so actually the body's kind of done its job of um getting rid of the uh, the drug and we just kind of got to make sure that the head can catch up with that so i wouldn't say that um patricia should start again um that would be um unhelpful um but rather just you know keep an open mind rely on your um kind of memory of what it was like when you were um, puffing away in those cigarettes and, uh, and, and you'll be fine. You just need to make the decision at the end and you don't, don't actually, um, uh, follow the instruction to have the uh, final one. That's what I would say, John. What yeah, would exactly. you say? Absolutely spot on. Uh, I think you, you, you're entirely right. And, you know, tried and trusted over sort of many years. Um, this has come up 
quite frequently. And normally, say if, if it's sort of a week or two or whatever, and if you're happy not smoking, but just you know you're feeling deprived or whatever, um, just read the book. It's fat. It's great to do that, as you say, ignore the instructions to to carry on smoking or or, or smoke a cigarette, thinking about it or whatever. Um, at those moments, just go. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. Just just carry on when it comes to the final ritual of the final cigarette at that point it's, it's great just to confirm that you've already smoked that and that applies to to all the addictions whether it's sort of alcohol or cocaine or, or cannabis or, or, or whatever whatever else it might be uh, if you've already if you've already got rid of the drug and are just want to tackling the mental aspects of it we definitely definitely don't need to take the drug I think the, th- the funny thing is you know if somebody you know goes to shop buys the book and on the way home they they stub out their final cigarette um and then they start reading the book when they get home i think at that point that's slightly different and i think there there is a danger of someone um you know being sort of preoccupied thinking about where or have i stopped or haven't i did they go through a ritual of final cigarette or not they so i think i think we'd always i'd always say at that point look you had a cigarette an hour ago. <laughs> you know, carry on for the time being. Read the book, and um, uh, and and th- and there you go. I think that's uh, I think that's the uh, the ideal answer to that. Um, good. Anything to add? Do you think? I think that's I think that's uh, yeah, no, pretty I much. That's it for, for the second one. Sometimes when I'm in the live seminars, we get um, because people carry on smoking and stuff during the live seminars. Um, they sort of laugh a little bit and they say, "Oh, if you came along for another." drug another seminar do you have to keep you know, taking that drug the whole way through do you have a ritual of like <laughs> they have it, visions of people just getting sloshed or you know whatever um in their seminars but no you don't or, or some people think it's a bit of a gimmick that we say oh you can carry on smoking the whole way through as though it's just you know a fanciful thing but it, it does serve a purpose you know it which is that you know if if someone's a smoker and they're being denied a cigarette that they um it's a very distracting thought process like you say and that means that they're not listening to the the content of the uh, of the method so that's that's really where we're coming from but um we don't encourage you to um say drink whilst you're reading the um, alcohol book because you need to be in a clear state of mind in order to um rationalize and make sense of the the arguments and to kind of think it through yeah, Alan and I had a, a very long discussion about the alcohol because it was it seemed the natural thing to do. Well, we you know we smoked throughout the the the, the smoking sessions, so surely the uh, the alcohol seminars should be right. And um, Chris Hay, senior sort of Alan Carr therapist, who's so such a big important part of of the alcohol program. Uh, we all, we all had a, a great chat about it, and um, I think we were unanimous in the end. We just thought, hang on, there's sort of it's too much like a party. You know, part people turn up, we can't start serving drinks. It just it, now looking back, I don't know how long ago it was, twenty years or something. It seemed like quite a uh, a radical thing to do from an Alan Carr point of view. Saying no. Don't drink while you're doing the, the the alcohol method or reading the alcohol book. Um, but time has proven us absolutely right. You know to, that that's not helpful. 
when people are dealing with alcohol. We say in the book, um, with a book, we say, carry on drinking until you finish the book. Don't, you must read the book sober. So it's, it's not a, 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 which, you know, somebody can do that an hour a day or two hours a day or three hours a day. That, that's great. But, but really to, to, uh, um, once you involve alcohol or, or, or anything else, then you're, you're not, um, you're not taking on board the information you need to take on. It's a very good point. Uh, that actually it's, uh, um, and you're right. The, again, back in the day when, um, when we both started out as, as therapists, we used to actually have smoking in the room. You know, you have 12 smokers in the room and um, smoking away and uh, the ventilation wasn't brilliant. It's sort of smog we'd work in or whatever else. It seems unimaginable now. But it was a real key important thing because for myself as a smoker, a chain smoker, you know, if I've been told you've got to, you can't smoke as soon as you walked in, it'd be like red flag, you know, run away. Um, so it was when the, the laws changed, it was a big move, another big key decision. What should, what we should do about that? And for a while we got special dispensation, um, because of what we were doing, you know, treating addiction. Uh, but in the end, it was, it was really driven by the smokers coming along and they, they really didn't want to be in smoking rooms anymore. We had special smoking rooms. Um, and we found that sort of pretty much all of them were going outside to smoke. Um, and, uh, and we'd introduce smoking breaks as well. That's the, we used to have one break in the middle, if you remember. And then, but when smoking breaks came in, that, that was quite radical. We were so careful of make, not making any changes because sort of so protective of the, uh, um, uh, the success rate. Um, again, we thought long and hard about it. I thought, no, we have smoking breaks every 45 minutes to an hour. Um, have people go outside and then come back in and start again. And the, the success rate didn't slip one bit, which was great. So many people thought that, uh, not that Alan Carr, uh, but so many clients thought it was come some kind of, um, aversion therapy. Yeah, smoke loads and loads and loads, and by the five hours late, you're sick of it and won't smoke again. But that doesn't actually work. I mean, I tried that a few times. I was a chain smoker, because it's very hard to actually try that. But because uh, um, it was already smoking one after another after another. But uh, um, no, that's a, I think that's a good. Let me just check. Do we answer that question? Yep. That that, that um, yeah, we've more than covered that. Um, okay, we've got time for a couple more. Do you think? Um, Paul from Evesham, UK. I've read the book twice. Uh, I've read the book twice now and I'm still smoking. Am I broken? <laughs> Definitely not, Paul. Don't worry about it at all. Um, it's just some people quit with the book. Um, some people um, quit after reading the book 10 times. I'd never recommend they do that. I mean, I think I could have rec- I could have read it a hundred times. It wouldn't work for me. I knew there was something in the book as, as Paul must do because he, he's read it and he's, he's sticking with it. Um, but sometimes you just need a little bit more help. I did. And, and that was in the um, form of the live seminar. I think we might have touched on this in the last, the first episode. So I don't want to go on too too much about it, but if nothing else, there are several things I'd advise uh, Paul to do. One, make sure if you're going to read the book again, get the most up-to-date version of the book, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Smoking. And that's just, it's, it, it's, there's more in-depth stuff in than in any previous version of the book, um, which, which will, which is essential really. And that, that's based on all the years and years of our experience in, um, in, uh, 
therapy room. The other thing I would say, get some advice from us. It's free of charge. There are certain things we, you know, the advice we give to people is all very similar, but that we take into account what happened previously from the person who's read. We, we want to hear, well, what happened when you, what happened previously? Did the book just not work at all or did it work for a while or whatever? So the more information people give us, the, the more, the more advice um, we can provide. And, and I would just say, you know, just, just get that advice. It doesn't cost anything. It's easy. Um, you can get, we can give it uh, via uh, pod at alancar.com or, or on the website, alancar.com. There's, there's a uh, contact us bit. Click on that and, um, and it, uh, you, you, you answer a questionnaire and, and, um, we get back to people really quickly. So you're not broken, Paul. You're absolutely fine. If, if you can't afford a new book, we, we, we still got advice. It doesn't, you know, the, we really, the idea isn't, oh, you've got to buy this or that or whatever. If you want to carry on reading the, whatever the version of the book you've got, that's absolutely cool. The advice is really important. And it's one of those other things. It's a, it would be better with the, the latest version of the book. That's uh, that's all I'd say there. Or, or you know, take the lazy way, the easy way, and the literally the easy way. It's a live seminar. But um, okay, one last thing. Uh, one last thing from um, oh, um, I haven't got I haven't got the person's name written down. I had it on my phone. I thought I can't really consult my phone while we're doing this, and that would be wrong. Well, I, so I just jotted it all down on a bit on a page. Um, how do I stop thinking about it once I've quit? Again, this doesn't don't say whether it's to do with smoking or vaping or alcohol or cocaine or anything like that. But that's that is a great question, isn't it? Um, what do you say? Well, well, it's it's not how much you think about it. It's really it's what you think about it, isn't it? So it, it I mean, obviously we think about it a huge amount, considering that this is what we, um, you know, we've chosen to do with our with our working lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm perfectly happy thinking about it um, because, you know, genuinely every time I think about all the substances that I've taken in my past and quit with the Alan Carr's Easy Way, I, I just feel like I'm free of it and I'm happy. I'm happy that I don't um, have to do it. I feel a great, even like 20 years after quitting smoking, for example, I still get a kick out of the fact that I don't do it anymore. So yeah, bring it on. I'm happy to think about it. I think what the, the person is saying is that maybe they're having issues with thinking about it. And that's a problem, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. They, they, there was a, quite a lot in the, in the email they sent in. Um, I'm really sure I haven't mentioned, and I will give you a I'll give you a shout next week uh, in the next episode. Um, and, and the interesting thing was they um, they'd taken on on board the what we call the IWAC thing. I want a cigarette. IWAC. I W A C. So they had read the most up to date version of the method, but the whole point of that segment is to really explain it. It doesn't matter that you're thinking about cigarettes. So there's just something hadn't clicked with them. So, um, and that's quite often where seminars help. It's just, you know, you can ask a question and you get the answer straight away. But uh, um, so the the important thing is, is to not, to try not to not think about them, if that makes sense. Don't try to not think about them. I'll get it right. Um, because if you, if you do that, you think about them even more. It's just, it's as simple as that. I think Alan always used to say, I think we still use the same example. You know, if I say, don't think about a pe- an elephant now, 
you're going to think about an elephant. So it's trying not to think about it that causes a problem. Being comfortable with you thinking about it, that's the real key. And to do that, I think um, as long as you understand why you smoked, um, why you found it so hard to quit in the in, the, in previous um, attempts, um, and you get nothing from smoking, then it's actually really easy to think about it. And that's that's the point where you know the habitual thing is interesting, isn't it? You know, if you if you get off the bus on your way home from work, and you're always in the habit of lighting a cigarette as soon as you get off the bus, then the habitual element of that, as you step off the bus, well, I'll light a cigarette now. Now at that point, rather than worrying about it, think, oh blimey, that's a really bad thing to think. You just need to cut yourself a bit slack and think, well, hang on, great, I'm free and I don't do that anymore and feel good about it. It's when you think it's a bad sign, it's when you think that it really means you must want a cigarette that it it, it becomes an issue. So we do talk about a lot of that in the um, newer editions of the book and the live seminars, the online video program and, and what have you. So uh, I think that's, a, I think that's a, a kind of a complete enough answer unless you've got anything more to add. It's just really... Um, being comfortable that you're going to think about it. Yeah. So. And, the, and a thought isn't a craving. You know, just getting, like you say, that old habitual, you know, memory of a time where you used to smoke. That doesn't that doesn't mean, ah, oh, something hasn't worked or like I'm broken or, you know, this this means I still have a deep-seated desire to uh, to do the thing. It's, it's just an old thought, you know. It's just kind of easy to sort of shrug it off as you would any other old... Um, associated thought that you might have when you make a change in your life so uh, yeah it's just being cool with it isn't it yeah it takes takes the mind a bit of time to catch up with what's happened it's it, it's no it, it's no not really any different to i don't know if you move the furniture around in a room i don't know i used to do that all the time when i was a kid in my bedroom but the first couple of days it's a bit weird you go in there and nowhere's where you thought it was and it it it, it's not a bad thing. It, it's just um, one of those things. But uh, while your brain catches up with what's happened, um, it's okay for the thoughts to come into your mind, and uh, and and it's how you respond to them that that matters. But uh, okay, is that it? Is that a wrap? That's a wrap for the second episode. So that's um, that's fabulous. We also want to know about other things. We talked about sort of sound quality, picture quality. Whatever else, any feedback, anything, any feedback of that type, let us know. We're hoping to sort of get, get things, you know, performing better and better each week or f- from that point of view. Um, and, uh, questions, feedback and whatever. Yeah. And if, um, when people put their questions in, it might, it would be helpful if we knew the substance. You know, a bit of background and the substance would be uh, so we can tailor it. I know the answers are going to kind of overlap regardless, but still it would make it a bit more, um, you know, bespoke. Yeah, now there are, there's, there are some differences there, aren't they? But I, I think also there, it'll, it'll help other people realise sort of how the method works for so many different sort of um, areas, mm. um, which, is, uh, which is great. Well done. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode. So that's Dr. Charles Nell, Natalie Clays, Nikki Glazer, and John Dicey. Next time we'll be speaking with Panos Zoros, who is another fabulous um, Alakaz Easy Way practitioner in Greece. And John Dicey will be answering your questions. So until then.